Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, welcome to Hallmark's 25 Days of Christmas. That's what that music feels like to me. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the kiss that doesn't happen until the very last three minutes. Right? You know that you know the process, right? You know that's how it works. Okay. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Hallmark, Christmas, what are we talking about? Hey, we're starting a brand new series today called Wish List for Christmas. And it's uh, our last series of the year. Somehow, some way, we're, we're here, family. Like, we're, we're at the end of the year, and it has flown by, and it is incredible to me that we've, we've come this far already. And over the, the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some virtues within our lives that need to be at the top of our wish list. A couple of those things that just need to be a priority within our lives. But as we think about the wish list for Christmas... Have you ever noticed that, that as you get older, the, the wish list for Christmas becomes way more practical, right? Like it, it just shifts very quickly and I don't know when it happened, but Lauren, we were talking this week and it's like, well, what do you want for Christmas? It's like, well, my workout shoes are worn out, so I guess maybe replace those and uh, I'm out of cologne, so I guess maybe some cologne. All my socks have holes in them. Like, I used to ask for rocket ships and PS4s and puppies and rims for my car. Now it's like if I get a good pack of underwear, I'm like, yes. When did this happen? I don't understand. But the reality is typically our, our wish list consists of things that we don't have or, or things that we feel like we don't have enough of. We, we want more of those and it reminds me of a day with our, our girls a, a couple weeks ago. And I, I got in trouble because I said the name of the child last service. And apparently I'm not supposed to do that. But Brooklyn had a really bad, <laughs> terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You remember that book? Like she had one of those days where absolutely nothing could go right. And she was letting us know about it. It was a day, I am not exaggerating. I had somebody ask me last service, like, were you being for real? Dead serious. There were hours and hours of tears. Hours. And I was like, what is going on? It was just one of those days where everything was just going bad. And some of you are judging me right now. I see your eyeballs because you're like, oh, Oh, I thought a pastor's house is supposed to be like serene and calm. No, we don't walk around like singing hymns over one another. How art thou, child? How did you resteth? I'm great, Father. I am now the lily of the valley. No, we don't talk like that. It was a crazy day, and sometimes it gets wild up in the Henderson's house. I'm just letting you know. And this was one of those days. Nothing could help Brookie. She, she just could not get to that place. And, and we're running some errands, and, and it's been crazy. And she just gets to this point where she's like, I don't want to go home and just cook dinner. Can we just go to Raising Cane's? And we're like, fine. We'll, we'll, 
we'll oblige you. We'll go to Raising Cane's. And, and dinner was awesome. We're hanging out. We're laughing. We're playing games at the table. Let's just be real. Fried chicken cures all ailments. Like, it was just, it was a good moment. So we thought we, we'd finally, like, landed the plane on the crazy train. And so we, we're sitting there, and we had one last stop. We had to go to Target. Good old Target. And somewhere, as we're shopping in Target, Brooklyn starts to negotiate with Lauren. Mommy, I just want to add some things to my Christmas wish list. I won't ask you to buy them today, but can we go by the toy aisle and just let me look? Problem was, Lauren never really like gave a concrete answer. It was like, oh, we'll see. That's our favorite phrase as parents. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And Brooklyn took that as, oh, we shook on this. We spit in our hands and like, this is, this is on. Well, I, daddy had no idea any of this went on. So we were done. It's been a long day. I start heading towards the checkout and she starts losing her mind. In the middle of the store, she's crying. I thought we said we were going to the toilet. We had an agreement. You lied to me. I'm like, what is going on? I've had enough of this. So I did what any good dad would do in a moment that you're overwhelmed and you're trying not to snap. I hit the afterburners and I sped walk past them and acted like I had no idea who they were. I was just gone. Just saw the pebbles. I'm just out of here. Like I am, I am done with this craziness. And as I'm walking, I'm thinking to myself, I got four women in my house and it's just me. How in the world am I going to survive the teenage years? Jesus, come quickly, please. At the heart of Brookie's horrible, crazy day was just this feeling of discontentment. It was just this feeling that what she had was not enough, or at least it wasn't what she needed that day. And as I kind of reflected on that, I thought... God, is, is this what it's like for you dealing with me? Like, do you, do you sit up there and you hear me whining and complaining about all the things I don't have as you look around and go, look at all that I have provided for you? And he quietly whispered, yes. Yes, my son, it is. And I heard this statement, and it, it just rings so true. You see this in your notes, that most of us would never sell our souls but would willingly give it away one day at a time through discontentment. In other words, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, I'll give you a million dollars, but you have to give up your hopes, give up your dreams, give up your faith in Jesus, my hope is most of you would say, no, absolutely not. But the reality is, if we're not careful, we do that exact thing one day at a time through discontentment. We slowly give away our hopes and our dreams and even our faith because we look around and say, this is not enough. I want more. The apostle Paul challenges us in his, his famous verses in Philippians 4. He says this in verse 10. 
How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I, I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see this on the eye of black football players. I can tackle through the strength that God gives me. And it's like, no, Paul was talking about something a little bit different here. And if you've been around here, you, you know that Paul wrote this from a prison cell in Rome waiting to be killed. So Paul says, I can do all things, including encourage you while I sit on death row. I can do all things, including having nothing, including having everything including being full, including being starving, including not allowing my present circumstance to determine my present faith in God. I can do all things. I can find contentment in all things through the strength I find in Jesus. I just love how he says, I was never in need. I'm like, bro, you have an immediate need right now. You're in jail for preaching about Jesus, and they want to kill you. What do you mean you don't have a need? You have a need to get out of jail. You, you, you have a need to be rescued. And he goes, I don't, even, I don't even have a need. I appreciate your concern, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just wonder what would happen within our own lives if we had that mentality. I don't even have a need because of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there in my faith journey where it's like, oh, I have no need. God, like, well, I'm good. This is impressive. This is challenging to us. But throughout his writings, Paul challenges us to, to help us see that there are a couple thieves of contentment, a couple of things that will rob us of our contentment. You see these in your note that the two main thieves of contentment are comparison and entitlement. Comparison and entitlement. Was Paul some like superhuman cyborg? No. Was Paul some super Christian that we'll never be able to live up to? No. Was Paul someone who chose contentment over comparison? Yes. Was Paul someone who valued humility over entitlement? Yes. Which should give us hope because you and I can do those same things. Because, because you know this already. I'm not telling you something that you don't know, but you know that comparison robs you twice. Comparison robs you in the present moment because you're going, oh, well, look what Susie has. Look what Billy has. I don't, I don't have it like they have it. And it robs you of the joy. It robs you of your contentment. robs you of your peace in the moment. But it also robs you of your future. Because even when God finally does show up and do something in your life, in your mind, in my mind, well, you're kind of late, God. 
You, you kind of, you didn't show up when I thought you would. You didn't show up how I thought you would. And we're robbed of our contentment because of comparison. You see, the, the most important aspects of our life lose value when we compare them to something or someone else. One of my favorite verses is found in, in Solomon's depressing book of Ecclesiastes, where he reminds us of, of how entitlement actually impacts us. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We're, we're right in the middle of, of a unique season within our country. Friday was, was Black Friday for shopping, but somehow when you open the Amazon app on Sunday, it's still Black Friday. The Black Friday sales just keep going until we become Cyber Monday. And then I'm sure by the, in, in the next 10 years, it's going to be Cyber Week. Like it's, we're, in, we're in America, and America is the home of chasing two handfuls. And while I, I, love, I love the heart behind this, the American dream, the fact that you can, you can have hopes and aspirations, and, and my family has seen it moving to this country years and years ago and, and seeing that if you, you work hard and you have a dream that you can accomplish, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the problem is that we have marketed ourselves into a place where one handful of our hopes and dreams filled with tranquility is not enough. Two handfuls would be better. Matter of fact, in case you didn't know it from the commercials, you deserve two handfuls. You should pursue two handfuls because you're in titled to two handfuls. And it leads to this, this challenge within us where we would chase after the two handfuls rather than having peace and contentment in what we already have. The problem with, with the culture and the society that we're in when it comes to this is Jesus taught us the polar opposite. Jesus taught us that, yes, I deposited something of purpose and meaning within your life. Yes, I have deposited some things that will lead to this life of, of influence and impact. And, and yes, I deposited those things. But the way that you access them is through humility and surrender, not comparison and entitlement. It just, it just challenges us to, to focus differently. Jesus teaches us that the opposite of comparison and entitlement is humility and gratitude. There it is, Danny. I knew you were going to talk about gratitude Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yes. It's important. Gratitude is a word that we prioritize for a week, and we, we sit around the table on Thursday, and we, we talk about what we're thankful for. Oh, I'm, I'm thankful for my wife. When's the last time you told her that you were thankful for her? Last Thanksgiving. <laughs> you see, gratitude and Thanksgiving was never meant to be a one-week monument moment and forgotten about the other 51 weeks of the year. 
it's supposed to be a fabric of, of who we are. And, and Jesus, Jesus had this powerful moment where he had an interaction with some guys and, and he shows us the importance of gratitude and, and how it actually changes the situation. And we find this in Luke 17, starting in verse 11. It says this, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered one village, 10 men approached him, but they kept their distance for they were lepers. They shouted to him, mighty Lord, our wonderful master, would you have mercy on us and heal us? Now watch this, verse 14. When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words, go to be examined by the Jewish priests. And they set off. And they were healed while walking along the way. This is really important. Verse 15, one of them, a Samaritan, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet and he thanked him over and over, saying to him, you are the Messiah. Jesus asks, so where are the other nine dudes? Weren't there 10 who were healed? They all refused to return to give thanks and glory to God, except you, a foreigner from Samaria. Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, arise and grow, go. I love this part. It was your faith that brought you salvation and made you whole. Listen, it, it, it took faith for all 10 of these guys to receive their healing. Jesus didn't say, oh, okay, I, I hear your request. Poof, you're healed. Now go. He says, okay, start walking. And while they were on their way, while they were moving in the direction Jesus told them to go, they were healed. It took faith to obey and move forward, but only one when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to Jesus. And man, this, this hit me like a ton of bricks this week. It really did. How many times has Jesus healed me along the way? Like how many times in, in my journey has Jesus comforted me and protected me and encouraged me and healed me and restored me, and lifted me up? How many times has he graced me with his presence when I didn't deserve it? How many times has he offered me grace and mercy in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my struggles, in spite of my doubt, in spite of my questions? How many times has he healed me along the way? And heaven forbid, I be like the nine who Jesus has done that for me, and I never stop to say thank you. Like, God, don't, don't let it be me who's received all of these blessings from you in an effort to be obedient, I never stop to say thank you. You see, God is challenging us. He, he, he has set us on a mission. He has, he has delivered purpose and deposited things inside of us. And all 10 of them received their healing, but only one of them found their savior. 
All 10 of them received the healing because they were being obedient. And I think the challenge for us to see in the story is, yeah, God may call you to go and do something and God may be asking you to have an influence and God may be challenging you to shift some things in your life. But in the midst of that, if there's a place for you to step off the road and choose your own moment, choose it to sit at the feet of Jesus. Like as you're on this faith journey, heading towards God, what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be, don't miss the moments to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, thank you for who you are. Give glory to him. Jesus told him that his faith made him whole. They all received their healing, but only one of them found their savior. Only one of them sat at the feet of Jesus and said, you are the Messiah. You're the one we've been looking for, for all these years. And it teaches us this important lesson that we must turn every blessing into praise or we risk it turning into pride. We must turn every blessing that comes into our life into praise or we risk it turning into pride. Danny, what do you, what do you mean? Lauren and I have sat with so many people that we've prayed prayers with them and we've believed for God to show up in their lives and, and we've seen God show up and do miraculous things and, and open doors that only he can open. And, and six months later, as we hear them communicating those stories to somebody else, Parts of the story that they highlight are all the things that they did. Well, I, I updated my LinkedIn profile and I, and I sat down and I told that boss of mine, I told him I did. And the story becomes about our effort and about what, what we did. When in the moment it was like, can you believe what God did? I can't believe he opened this opportunity. If we're not careful, family, the blessings that he has placed in our life will turn into our story and our effort and our hard work and our skill and our influence rather than being the one who says, from beginning to end, Jesus, it was you. Jesus, from beginning to end, it was you. So how do we do this? How how do we make this happen? within our lives. And Paul teaches us some really practical things in his, his letter to the church in, in Thessalonica. It's uh, modern day Greece. And Paul is given this kind of like wrap up of, of all the things that, that need to happen, things that you need to prioritize in your life. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure you respect your leaders, honor one another, help the poor and the weak. Like he's, he's writing down all these things. And then in there, he gives us like this roadmap to gratitude, this roadmap of how we discover this in our lives. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. So the practical steps that he gives us, the first one is in your notes, rejoice Always rejoice. Always, the word rejoice in the original language means to to be calmly happy. 
to be calmly happy, to be balanced, to be well, to be measured. In other words, guard your emotions and don't allow them to be the driver of your life. Rejoice always when it's a challenging situation. Remain steady headed. How do we do that? By remembering that it's God who's in control. That it's God who is faithful. That it's God who is good. That it is God who is never taken by surprise by what's happening in our lives. So in the midst of something that is confusing and something that's overwhelming, we can stop and rejoice always because he is good. It's a challenge to us. Guard your heart and praise your father in heaven. The second thing he says is, is to pray continually. And this one was always kind of up for debate in, in church circles, is, is to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does it mean we never stop praying? Does it mean that we always have to be praying? Does it mean that when I'm aggravated with that person who's driving, that I'm praying for them to, I'm, I'm praying something, Lord, touch them or I'm going to touch them. One of the two is going to happen today. So let's just let it be you, Lord. Like, what is it? What does this mean? I believe I believe that it means to let your life be a prayer. Let your life be a prayer. That there is no moment in which God is excluded. That there's no moment in your day from the time you wake up to the, to the evening time when you lay your head down to rest. That there's no moment in your day that you're like, hey, God, I've got this one. That you invite him in. I don't know if you guys have this in, in your relationship, but Lauren and I have this like little communication thing that we try to work on. Like there are times where she starts a conversation in, in here and then about a quarter of the way, it finally comes out here. And I'm like, what are we talking about? Wait, 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 wait. And she's like, I told you. I'm like, no, we missed a part. I need a bridge. I need a bridge on ramp into the conversation how did we get here? And then Sally was telling me that we need to. And I was like, wait, where did Sally come from? I thought we were talking about football. What are we, where did this happen, right? Anybody else have that? No, just, oh, okay, I'm about to say. Thank you for your honesty. Everybody's like, you trying to get me in trouble. I'm going to quietly nod to you. Uh, mm -hmm. God doesn't need a bridge. God doesn't need an invitation to the conversation. Somehow in, in our faith journey, we get to this place where we feel like if we don't like properly call on him, if we don't say heavenly father, then our prayer doesn't count. Like, no, God just wants to be invited into every moment, into every situation. He doesn't need a proper address before he hears your heart. Just allow him to be within every moment, simply acknowledging that God in every moment and every day, you are invited into this. Number three, Paul says to give thanks in really good situations. Give thanks in the situations that we kind of like, but maybe we should change a little bit, but we can maybe get through it. No, give thanks in every situation. Well, surely not in that situation, Danny. Yeah, in that one too. Well, surely not in what I'm going through. 
Yeah. And that one too. In every challenging, in every overwhelming, in every celebratory, in every single moment, give thanks. Part of our journey to, to establish gratitude as, as a foundation of our life, part of our maturity in our faith journey is the ability to find ways to thank God in the moments where it feels like there's nothing to be thankful for. And I, I could go to a really dark place here and, and share the times where, where, I've, where I could thank God in the midst of my pain and my grief, and, and I could go there, but you don't need that today. You understand that even in the darkest days, even in the middle of the darkest storms, there's something you can thank our Heavenly Father for. There's something that you can hold on to. And Paul says, the way that you get this, this attitude, this spirit of gratitude is to thank God, give thanks in every moment. Now, most pastors would stop at those three because they fit together like a glove, but, but I really feel like it's important to hit the next verse that he said, and it's number four. Don't suppress the Holy Spirit. Don't suppress the Holy Spirit. The original language says, don't extinguish the fire. Don't stifle God's divine influence. Last week, Mary talked about the importance of fanning the flames of what God has put into your life to fan into to flames those spiritual gifts. And here, Paul is saying again, don't stifle, don't silence, don't extinguish the flame. Why is this important to gratitude, Danny? Because I challenge you to understand that one of the fastest ways to lose sight of the things to be grateful for in your life is to suppress or silence the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Listen, you, you could pray without ceasing, but if you never stop talking to listen, you're still gonna struggle to be grateful. It's not a monologue, family. Prayer is not just us trying to get all the stuff off of our chest. The Holy Spirit wants to speak back. The Holy Spirit has something to say. Paul says, don't suppress the Spirit. Don't silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you, if I, I'm, I'm a pretty like even keel person, steady, go with the flow, like, I can keep a steady head and, and balanced emotions all that I want, but if I ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna struggle with gratitude. If I don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life, you can be the most deadpan, even keel person in the world. Nothing bothers me, I am stone-faced. Congratulations. You're still gonna struggle with gratitude if you ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. If you ignore the promptings of what God says to you in a moment of worship, if you ignore what God says to you in a message, if you ignore what God whispers to you when, when you're driving and you're like, oh, that person, I need to reach out. If you miss those things, you will miss your invitation to having gratitude in that moment and in that season. Paul says to give thanks, to be grateful for this will shape and change and impact your life. 
But I want you to see one last thing as we get ready to pray. Gratitude is God's will for your life. But it is also his design for your peace. Gratitude is God's will. That's what, what Paul says in, in the verse. This is, this is God's will for your life. What should I do with my life? Be grateful. Well, that's it? No, obviously that's not it, but that's a great starting point. This is God's will for your life, but it's also his design for your peace. I love the moments that happen when there's something that is in scripture that God is teaching us, and then it perfectly lines up with science that it, when it's discovering things about ourselves. And we've got to move past this within our Christian faith, this idea that science is the enemy of, of Christianity. It's not. Every time they seek to prove God doesn't exist, they're like, oh, shoot, there's something there. I don't know what's going on. Where did that come from? I want, you, I want to read something to you that Psychology Today, Psychology Today is not a Christian, right, article. They published this, this article about the influence of gratitude on our brains. I want to read this to you. Brain scans show that expressions of gratitude show lasting changes in the prefrontal cortex that heightens sensitivity to future experiences of gratitude. In other words, you're like, Danny, What? In other words, gratitude changes your brain. And if you have a moment of gratitude, what it begins to do is it starts to rewire something in your prefrontal cortex that makes you more sensitive to find ways to be grateful the next time there's an opportunity. This is interesting. It continues, a, a deep sense of gratitude is shown to decrease pain lessen stress, lead to better sleep, strengthen the immune system, increases the chance of healthier relationships, and results in better performance in school and careers. Gratitude is both a temporary feeling and a dispositional trait. In other words, gratitude leads to a change in how we experience our life. God says, hey, I want you to prioritize gratitude. Why? Because when it shifts from just being a moment of thanksgiving, a moment of gratefulness, and it becomes a dispositional trait, when it becomes a characteristic of who you are, it's not something that I do, it's who I have become. I am a person who is grateful. Science and God tells you, you'll sleep better. You'll, you'll connect with people better. Your immune system will be stronger. You will be a better functioning person. You will be able to, uh, to accomplish the things that God has deposited within you when you come from a place of gratitude. It changes your life. And I just... I just want us to understand that God has wired us in a way that gratitude impacts our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And if we want to be who God has created us to be, it requires gratitude. A challenge for us today, family, is I want to be the one. I want to be the one out of 10 
that stops in my tracks and says, Jesus, I know I've still got a ways to go, but I'm going to thank you right now for the miracle you provided for me. I can't go one step further into my purpose until I turn back around and I say, thank you. And I just wonder how that would shift the way that you did your life. Actually, I don't have to wonder. We just saw it would change things. We have got to get past this idea that gratitude is just a moment. We can become people whose DNA, whose foundation, whose thought process, whose life is shaped by a spirit of gratitude. And as we do that, it will impact every area of our life. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> I absolutely love the moments when, when science just proves exactly what you said in the Bible. I just love those moments. So thank you for being awesome. Jesus, I, I pray for my friends right now in this moment that you would just stir up within them, that you would fan into flame a spirit of gratitude within their hearts and within their lives. Jesus, not just them, I, I pray for me, Lord. I pray that you would just stir up within me this this mentality that I wouldn't be so driven by what it is that you want to do in the weeks and the months and the years to come, that I miss the moment to stop and sit at your feet and throw up my hands and simply say all that I have, all that I can give, all that I can bring is a heart that says thank you is a soul that is grateful. And so Jesus, I pray that you help us leave this place not motivated to, to be grateful for one more day or one more week or one more month, but Jesus, that we would leave this place and prioritize gratitude as a fabric of our every single day. And Jesus, we start right now. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my spouse. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my parents and my family. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this city. I thank you for the people that you have brought into my journey that have blessed my life. I, I thank you for the ways that you have been faithful to me when I didn't deserve it. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for your love when I have failed and disappointed you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your strength. I thank you for how you picked me up and encouraged me and strengthened me. I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for me so that I can surrender my life to him and have an eternity with you in heaven. I thank you that you love me, that you have put purpose in my heart, that you give me a reason to wake up in the morning. I thank you for being you. If you did nothing else for me, God, you deserve 
every ounce of my praise. And so, Lord, in this moment, we commit to you that we will say thank you. We will live with a heart of gratitude. I pray all of this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.